Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While loss is something we will all experience throughout our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also give you some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. A lot goes into talking about the people in our lives who have died. Who do we tell? What do we share? And not only about the person and what they meant to us, but about how they actually died. The words we choose, past, lost, died, are heavy with meaning and emotion. Sometimes we choose words to make other people feel less uncomfortable, and sometimes the words we choose are the only ones we can make ourselves say out loud. How we talk about the death can be as personal and unique as our grief is. Joining me today is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jana. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sarah and I have known each other for, gosh, has it been almost 10 years now? I think six. Six years? I think so, yes. Yeah, six, Sarah yeah. and I are buddies from the yoga world, mm-hmm. but our, um, our lives overlapped when Sarah's younger brother, David, died just over five years ago. And Sarah, could you share a little bit with us about David and his death? So for three days, my family didn't know how David died. We knew it was a homicide, but no details. It was a relief when we found out he died instantly and did not suffer. Violence was personal. TV violence, video games, and figures of speech, all were real and felt. His death was public. I felt lost, terrified, and alone. Five years have passed, and although I still feel, although I still get swept away by the grief and trauma of this great loss, I keep looking ahead and making plans because I'm still alive and there is a lot of life left to live. Sarah, in the time that I've known you and since David has died, that might be the first time that you've spoken openly about how he died, that it was a violent death. How has that come to be for you? Has that changed over the five years? Yeah, it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable sharing any kind of details. And in fact, often when people ask me if I have siblings, I say that my brother is where he's buried. I don't often, unless I get to know somebody better, I don't really even say that he's not alive because it's been so hard for me and I think I've done a lot of work around losing him and it's felt so private because it was so traumatic. It's hard to separate my trauma and grief. I think in order to protect myself I've been more comfortable sharing less and I think over the last maybe six months or a year I've realized that I don't I don't want to feel so isolated with that information and and I feel maybe a little bit less um, shame around it. Shame as in like there must have been something that was bad about him or bad about you or yeah bad about him or bad about my family it's it's so surreal and though the way he died is so surreal that it's hard to um, share it because 
like I want to protect people because it's so hard to believe that I think that I even separate myself from it at times. Like it's hard enough for you to even think about it, never mind to put it into words and share it with other people. Yeah. Where do you think that shame comes from? Honestly, I'm not sure where it comes from. I think there's, it feels to me like because David was so um, young and full of life, I think as I'm speaking to you now, it feels like when I think about it, when I think about shame, it feels like punishment, you know? I feel like he was taken away in such a way that was he wasn't sick, he wasn't, you know, he was walking home from work. And when I'm thinking about it right now, it feels like, yeah, like a punishment. Like he was taken from my family, he was taken from his friends and the community in such a violent way, like we were being punished. How does the shame respond to you deciding to speak out more about the circumstances of his death? I I think the more I open up about it, the more connected to people I feel. That that there's a lot of relief in connecting with people and sharing. I still don't share so many details with people, but I will say a little bit more that he was murdered or killed or something like that. And I think people seem to be really kind and wanting to connect. And like the shame is inside of me. It's not validated by other people's responses. Not at all. And that's Mm -hmm. different than what maybe you were initially expecting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I was expecting. It's such a, an unscripted life. It's really hard to navigate because I don't know a lot of people who have lost somebody in such a violent way. And even if they did, each person is different, so there's no script to go by. You mentioned, too, that people responded with kindness when you share with them about David's death. And how has kindness been a part of your grief? Well, I think I've, I've been really kind with myself in allowing myself to grieve in ways that are helpful to me that maybe aren't traditional way. I, I don't know what a traditional what way is of grieving is. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny <laughs> thing to say. And yet I think that I have allowed myself to seek comfort in ways that feel good to me. And I, and I think part of not sharing for so long has been self preservation. Yeah, so I think there's been kindness towards myself and not having expectations about the way things should look or what I should be doing or, you know, that shoulding. And did that come easy to you that I'm going to do whatever it is that works best for me and In some ways it did. I've always been pretty stubborn. <laughs> You know, I I live in a town that's kind of not super close to where my the rest of my immediate family lives. And so I have had a little bit of freedom and maybe more like room to breathe where it wasn't like constant reminders of my brother everywhere. I mean, when I go back to that town, he's everywhere. I mean, that's where I knew him. That's where we spent the most time together. So I think that I was fortunate. I feel fortunate to not live in that town and to have my own experience. And at the same time, that's been isolating because 
in that community. There are a lot of people that know knew him and here not so much. How do you carry David with you? David was sort of like a possessionless guy. Like mm. he, <laughs> he didn't care about what clothes he would. I mean, he put himself together, but he, I mean, he. He wasn't a fashionista. He wasn't a fashionista. He wasn't materialistic. And he was really like a peacemaker wherever he was. So if it was in, whether it was in our family and I think probably in his friendships, like he was a really funny guy and didn't hold on to things to the point where I would get mad at him, you know, like, why aren't you getting pissed about X, Y, Z? And how I hold him with me is keeping my hand open, you know, like he didn't hold on to things. And so I think I feel him the most with me in humor. He had a great sense of humor, and he saw the best in people. It seems like he was pretty easygoing about things that maybe you would have had a really strong reaction to. Yeah. And you physically opened your hand when you said you try to keep your hand open. What does that mean? That means having less of a grip on whatever I'm maybe worried about or obsessing over or really wanting it's like this ability to like be open to what comes and goes less grasping more receptive yeah it's hard to say yeah hard to articulate I mean it's definitely I would say like the most when I'm feeling good about myself and being nice to people (laughs) (laughs) thank you David (laughs) yeah yeah and like good music and laughter in this process of being really internal And having a lot of, you mentioned kind of self-preservation, protecting yourself as you went into the first five years of this process of of grief. What were the things that people always want to know? Like, what do I do? How do I get through this? What would you share with somebody to say, these were the helpful things for you? Recognizing that what's helpful for you isn't necessarily helpful for everyone. That's a great question. I think to be really kind with oneself, to allow yourself to take care of you in ways that feel helpful and nourishing and supportive, no matter how that looks. Thankfully, my family, there wasn't a lot of pressure. And I wonder if people do feel pressure to grieve in a certain way or to get over it in quotes. Or, I mean, really what helped me was drawing pictures really ugly pictures with my non-dominant hand so that I, I'm an artist. So if I draw with my right hand, then I have so much more control and it can be like a nicer drawing, whatever that means. And I think that I really chose to get uncomfortable and allow myself to have the feelings that are ugly and less put together and that was like my private process was really like drawing pictures and making sound like screaming into my pillow beating my bed up getting it out of my body tons of acupuncture I got I really exploited every avenue that was available to me for help you know even like right in the days after he died, I was going to yoga because I, I just had this sense like I don't want to lose myself. I didn't die and I want to be strong in my body. And so there were choices that I made that were 
really helpful for me that in the moment, I think people didn't understand like, oh, you're, you're going to a yoga class. Shouldn't you be falling apart in your bed? And something in me like kept me moving and has kept me moving. And it changed over the years too. And there was a point where I couldn't do yoga because I was feeling too much. And that was hard. It's been really helpful for me to allow myself to grieve in the way that feels helpful in the moment. And have to be flexible about it rather than totally. say, I went to yoga those first few days, so I absolutely have to make sure I go to yeah. yoga. And it's like, no, at this point, that's not feeling as supportive as it did at the beginning. So I'm going to try to do something else. Yeah, like a pint of ice cream or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever feels good. <laughs> the other thing people ask us about a lot is, you know, what do I do for myself? And then a lot of people wonder, how do I support someone? How do I support my friend? How do I support my family member who's grieving? Are there things that people did or said that felt useful, helpful, comforting? It's hard to remember. Mm. There's a lot of blurriness in my memory. And what still stands out to me, although it's lessened over time, is the violence in everyday language that is not helpful, especially because the way he died was so violent, or it's really apparent to me the way that violence is so casually used in language. So I remember that really standing out and still does at times, but like I said, not as much. So that felt really inconsiderate and frustrating. And also it's like, okay, this is happening all the time. It's been happening and now I'm just aware of it. So that's something that was not helpful. So for people to be more aware of the language that they're using in maybe an offhanded way. Yeah. And I think that's generally in a culture. Violence is, we're desensitized to it. And being in community was really helpful. So not so much what people said or did, but just the comfort of an other or mm. others. And I think inquiry is really important, asking questions rather than making assumptions like, oh, this must be really horrible or this must be really hard. To me, that feels frustrating because depending where I am with my grief, maybe it's not hard. Maybe I'm having a good memory or maybe. So what I take forward in my own life is asking questions. So to maybe drop the assumptions we could be carrying about how a friend of ours must be feeling because they're grieving because we can only imagine it from our own perspective mm -hmm. and to ask the question like, how is your grief today? Mm -hmm. Or what's been changing for you with your feelings? What are you noticing lately? Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to be listened to and not be fixed. It's sometimes I want to feel my grief and sometimes I really like it when my friends or whoever I'm with can be there with me in that as it is in the moment. Having just gone past the five-year anniversary mark of your brother's death, what, what's most present for you with your grief right now? Um, so I think what I'm grateful for is that is knowing that I'm still alive because I think sometimes in those years I felt like I died. I mean it's, it's, it's such a surreal thing to even talk about but I I do feel like I in order to like 
feel alive, I kind of had to go away. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like I had to retreat into myself and and what I want to remember and what I wonder if it could be helpful for other people is to remember, like I want to remember that I'm alive and that it this didn't happen to me. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Dear Ducky and talking about your story so openly, knowing you this this whole time, recognizing what a tremendous change that is for you in your story and in your grief. So thank you for sharing that with, with me and with all the listeners out there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone for tuning in today. If you would like to hear any past episodes of Dear Dougie, you can find us on our website, dougy.org, or in iTunes or any other podcast platform you might be listening to. Thanks for listening.